I don't, uh, I don't know very much about sports. I do know that the FC Soccer League has started their games, I think this weekend. And uh, about athletes, what I do know is when they gather to practice, they gather to practice not merely to learn uh, new techniques about their forms, about how to handle the ball or how to hit the bat. Uh, they practice not merely to, to gain the right form in their, uh, in their techniques, but they also practice so that they gain confidence in the right form. So you practice not only to learn a new technique, but to gain confidence in the right technique. So that when the game happens, you're able to to do it well. Now, that principle of, of repeating something to gain not only form but to gain confidence is true in so many areas of our lives. If you're learning a new skill at work, a new way of doing a project, uh, repeating that, repeating the, the, the work or repeating the form to, to gain confidence is a good thing. One of the, one of the ministries that, that we as a church are excited to be a part of is to equip members with handling God's Word well. And one of the ministries that we have made and encouraged our members to be a part of is the Simeon Trust Workshops. I know that Diana Chavria is going to be taking a, a, a workshop soon, next few weeks. Uh, those workshops are not only to teach technique of how to exposit God's Word, of how to interpret God's Word, but to build confidence uh, in people how to interpret and exposit God's Word. Uh, when we repeat something, it can have the effect of, of helping us gain confidence. In the passage we're about to read, we're going to look at a story that is, or it looks like, almost a, almost a repetition of something that went on earlier in the book. And I invite you to open the Bible to so 1 Samuel chapter 26. If you've been with us in the last few weeks, we've been working through our, our way through the book of 1 Samuel, and uh, we are about to read a story of, of David uh, sparing Saul's life. And if you've been with us through this book, you'll recount that this happened before. It's not the first time it happened. Why do we get a second story of David sparing Saul's life, not taking revenge against Saul. Well, it is to show us that David is growing in his confidence in trusting the Lord. Last week in the, in the chapter we looked at uh, David and Nabal, he was close to failing. He almost failed in an important lesson of of taking, wanting to take revenge against this no-name no man. But we see here in the story of David having an opportunity to take revenge against Saul again for the second time, that we, we see a David who is growing in confidence in trusting in the Lord. So I invite you to open God's Word to 1 Samuel chapter 26 and listen to the Word of the Lord for us this morning. Growing confident in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. 
Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakilah, which is on the east of Yemishon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakilah, which is beside the road on the east of Jemishon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, with Abner the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment, while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Joab's brother, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please, let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on the top of the hill with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, why does my Lord 
pursue after his servant. For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth, away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your, so your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly, and I have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you in my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may, may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. And may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in praying and asking God to bless the preaching of his word for our hearts? Let's pray. Father, as we have heard your word read, I ask that you would bless us. Bless me in the proclamation, in the explanation of this word, and bless our hearts in the hearing of the meaning of this word. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to understand its implications for us. Help us to receive it. For the glory of your great name, in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Growing confident in the Lord. After the last interaction that David had with Saul in chapter 24, we might expect that Saul would give up pursuing David. After all, do you remember how Saul cried before David? And acknowledged that he was in the wrong in pursuing him. And Saul asked for David's future protection. At that point in the, in the book, at the end of chapter 24, it seemed like Saul was no longer pursuing David. Things have come to a moment of closure between David and Saul. So it seemed. But today, in, in our passage, it becomes clear that the so-called repentance of Saul, of pursuing David, did not last very long. In this chapter, 
Saul starts pursuing David again. And from David's perspective, it appears that his troubles do not stop. The season of his wilderness wanderings continue. The temptation to grasp the kingdom with his own hands from Saul presents itself again. Last week, David came very close to working salvation with his own hands uh, by being intent on taking revenge against this no-name man called Nabal, who simply insulted David. The Lord intervened to protect David from becoming guilty by taking revenge against Nabal. Now David gets another opportunity and another temptation to take revenge against Saul. And for Saul, this is the second time David gets this opportunity. And we may wonder, why this repetition? What's going on in this book that David gets these repeated opportunities for taking revenge? With the lesson learned from chapter 25, David against Nabal, now we see another opportunity. We might call it, if we like to use the illustration of a sports experience, David gets another drill. Uh, at taking revenge. What is he going to do? Is he going to, to learn the lesson of chapter 25? Or is he going to falter in it? Here as we see this chapter unfolding before us, we see a David even more confident in the Lord. Here we see a persecuted king-to-be whose trials continue to linger on and on, yet he is growing in confidence in God's plans. And the challenge this chapter poses for us is, what do you do when trials that you thought were over, linger on? What do you do when the trials you thought were over and the lessons you thought you learned linger on? We see David's growing confidence in the Lord showing up in two ways in this chapter. They show up in David's actions, so David's confidence in the Lord show up uh, in his actions, and then we, it shows up in his speech. This is how the chapter is divided. We see David's actions, and then we see David's speech. Uh, let's look at these two parts of the story of this chapter. David's confidence in the Lord shows up in his actions. We see this in verses 1 through 12. The chapter begins by telling us that Saul's chase after, after David uh, did not stop in chapter 24, as we hoped, as we thought, and surely as David had hoped and thought 
for the second time in this book. Not only is, Dave, is, is Saul coming again to chase after David, but he does it after being informed by the Ziphites. Do you remember the Ziphites? The Ziphites showed up in chapter 23. And they told Saul that, that David was hiding on the hill of Hakila in the wilderness of Ziph. That happened in chapter 23. Now we're in chapter 26, and the Ziphites show up again. They inform Saul again that David is again hiding in the wilderness. And they are coming to, da to Saul and say, hey, we're, we're, we're with you here. We're loyal to the end with you, Saul. David is hiding in the wilderness. And what does Saul do? For the second time, he takes an army of 3,000 men, just like in chapter 24. And when the news comes to David's ears, we are told in verse 4 that David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. I think chapter four, uh, verse 4 is a clue that David perhaps was not willing to believe the report at first. After chapter 24, when, when, when Saul had cried before David, recognized that he was in the wrong, and, and, and pledged not to harm David, Perhaps in David's mind, he thought, all right, Saul is over. It's done. Uh, it'll be a little better from now on. And the news comes that Saul had come out again with 3,000 men, just like in chapter 24. And David says, is this for real? And sends out some spies to make sure that indeed this is the case. What a surprising plan for David to hear that Saul is indeed out again after David. Why, why would Saul want to do that? Well, when David finds out that Saul indeed is coming after David, he doesn't do what he has done in the past. In the past, David would start fleeing. Remember the stories? When David would find out that Saul is coming after David, David would start fleeing, moving from one place to the next. In this story, he does something unusual. We are told in verse 5, that David did not run away. Not only did he not run away, in verse 5, David wants to approach Saul's camp. Look at verse 5 with me. David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And in verse 6 we read, David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? What an unexpected plan of action for David. Why would David 
want to go into Saul's camp when Saul is the one who is seeking out to kill David. Now, this is risky business. But the irony here is that in the second chase, the second run, the second drill from Saul to get David, we find out that it's actually not Saul seeking David, but David is now determining to seek Saul and to go to him. The description of Saul and his surrounding, uh, how he's laid out in the camp, uh, is not a wasted detail for the author of 1 Samuel. In various important episodes when Saul shows up in this book, uh, the author would give us details about where Saul was, who was around him, what was going on in the environment, in the setting around him. And that happens here as well. When David and Abishai entered Saul's camp at night, notice the details that the narrator tells us about Saul. Verse 7, so David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul, sleeping within the encampment, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Don't skip over this description. Twice the narrator tells us that Saul was sleeping with his army around him, and also with a spear stuck around his head. By the way, you, the spear always shows up with Saul in this book. Here's a picture of King Saul with a weapon at his head, with his commander Abner next to him, and with his army of 3,000 soldiers surrounding him. So no one would imagine that the king would be in danger. What would think that Saul so protected and got even the soldiers how to sleep at night around him, to be around him, so that even at night, this king would be protected? On the one side, we have Saul fully protected by his army, by his commander sitting next to him, and by his spear stuck to the ground next to his head. And on the other side, we have David, who is going in by himself, only with one guy helping him out. What chances would David have? Here's another reminder, as we have been reminded throughout this book, that numbers don't impress God. That big numbers, a big army, and one guy or two people are not a big deal for the Lord to handle. When David and Abishai pass through all the guards and through all the soldiers, Abishai draws one important conclusion. Verse 8, God has given your enemy into your hands this day. Now we can understand the logic. What is the chance that two individuals could pass through all these 3,000 soldiers and get to Saul unnoticed. 
and get so close to him that they could even get his own spear and nail Saul to the ground in one shot. Abishai gets it. It must be the Lord who's giving you the, the enemy into your hands. So Abishai offers his service to Saul, to kill, uh, to David, to kill Saul. But David, without missing a beat, immediately refuses to take this path. And he gives Abishai reasons, two reasons for not harming David. I mean, for not harming Saul. The first is that David is not concerned so much about harming Saul as much as he is concerned about not becoming guilty. David's first concern is not to harm Saul, but not to become guilty. Look at verse 9. David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? We find out here that David and Abishai entered Saul's camp not in order to kill Saul, even though it took a great risk on both of their parts, David seems determined to avoid incurring guilt before God. That was David's first concern. For David, not sinning against the Lord was more weighty than getting even with Saul. I wonder if you too are more concerned about not sinning against the Lord than about getting even with someone who has hurt you or tried to hurt you. When we co you consider how you should respond to people who have caused you trouble, is the concern in your mind primarily the concern of just trying to, to get even or trying to respond in a way that makes you unguilty before the Lord. For David, it was a concern of not sinning against the Lord that kept him from harming, from taking revenge against Saul. But David goes on with another reason to Abishai why, why he should not harm Saul. The second reason we see in verse 10, David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. Now, in the previous chapter, David learned that God is indeed able to strike people down prematurely. He did it in the case of Nabal. And now David has grown in confidence that the Lord can do the same with Saul if he so chooses. David suggests three scenarios of how, how God could deal with Saul. Either strike him down prematurely, or let him die naturally when his day comes, or the Lord could cause Saul to die prematurely in battle. Now, if we peek ahead, in five chapters from now, we'll find out that actually it's a third scenario that will happen in, in Saul's case. Saul will indeed die in battle, not a very long time from now. 
But here David shows that he has grown in confidence in God's ability to handle his troubles. He learned a great lesson in chapter 25, and now he's putting it into practice, showing greater confidence in the Lord. Do you believe that the Lord is able to handle the difficult people in your life? Are you learning the lessons that David is learning here? If only we would continue to be vigilant and not sin against the Lord in how we respond. Friend, I wonder if there are people in your life whom you need to entrust to the Lord to deal or handle, to deal with or handle. Instead of being tempted to respond sinfully to them, letting them in the Lord's care, letting them in the Lord's oversight, whether the Lord wants to repair that evil early or let them live their lives as they want to, whatever it is that the Lord chooses, but trusting that the Lord will handle them. Are there people that you need to put in that category that you're holding on to, that you want to deal with? David took action against Saul. But the action David took against Saul was not to hurt him. That's the action David took. David also suggests that instead of killing Saul, they should take the spear and his water jug. Uh, we read in verse 12, So David took the spear and the jar of water from, David's, from Saul's head, and they went away. But the narrator does not stop here. He gives us an extra detail, an explanation of what was going on in this expedition in David and Abishai's trip to Saul's camp. Look at verse 12 again. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. How could David walk into a camp of 3,000 soldiers, all surrounding their king, with the captain next to the king, with a spear next to the king, walk away with a spear and the water jug. No one would see them. No one had an idea that they were through in the camp at night. How could they do that? And the narrator tells us, the Lord has caused a deep sleep to come over all of them. David tells us in, ver in Psalm 18, verse 29, which our brother Colin read earlier for us in the service, when David said, For by you I can run against a troop. I personally think this is what David is talking about. This is experience. When he goes in against 3,000 soldiers, and his confidence is not in his servant, Abishai, he says, For by you, O Lord, I run against a troop. And what did the Lord use to enable David to make it through an army and get to Saul? What did, David, what did the Lord use to help David? Sleep. Sleep. 
deep sleep. For most of us, we consider sleep to be the most unproductive time of our lives. That's why we stay up at night and keep waking or do stuff because why would we go to sleep when we can keep doing stuff for work or for pleasure or for whatever? Why waste time sleeping, right? Now I realize some of us may be struggling to fall asleep. I'm looking at Linda. Uh, I'm thinking of myself. You know, some of us want to fall asleep and we can't. I get it. But most often, we think sleep, who wants sleep? College students, you may be in danger of that the most. Sleep may feel like the most unproductive thing for you to do. And yet, here God is in control of sleep. And God is working through sleep. What seems so unproductive to us, the Lord uses to accomplish a great victory for David. Even during sleep, God accomplishes his plans. Can you trust God to work even through sleep? When your day is over and your work is still undone, can you trust that the Lord works even through sleep? Who is this God who is able to use even that which appears to us to be so unproductive as sleep to accomplish such a great blow to Saul's camp by causing them to fall into a great sleep? I, I love the Lord who is able to work through such seemingly unproductive means. David shows his great confidence in the Lord through his actions. He takes the initiative to go into Saul's camp, even though Saul is the one seeking after David. David shows in confidence in the Lord to go into Saul's camp, just two guys against 3,000. And when he gets there, David shows confidence in the Lord by taking the action of not hurting Saul, but trusting that the Lord will handle Saul. After this moment, the, the narrator could finish the story and say, hey, lesson learned. We can move on. But he doesn't. Sparing Saul's life and taking his spear allowed David to speak to Saul again. And it's not only the action that David did for Saul, but his words to Saul that are important for us. So for the remainder of this chapter, from verses 13 to 25, now we see David's confidence in the Lord, not merely through his actions, but through his speeches, through his words. So the second point that we see in our, in our text today is David's confidence in the Lord shows up in his speeches. We see this in verses 13 to 25. Uh, David will address Saul's commander, Abner, once, and David will address Saul twice. Let's look at these three speeches. The first speech exposes the fragile nature of Saul's security and trust in men. After David and Abishai left Saul's camp, 
the narrator tells us why David took the initiative to enter Saul's camp. In the first speech, David gives um, to, to, to Abner, we find out what caused David to go in, risk his life, try to get near to Saul, and yet not hurt him. It was not to avenge himself against Saul. It was to show Saul how his people, that he fought, thought to protect Saul, are never sufficient for Saul's protection. That the Lord has given Saul and his men into David's hands, and yet David would not hurt them. David addressed Abner and charged him with failing to do his duty to protect the king. He says in verse 16, This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. Now in the Hebrew language, the, the words, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch, is not in the singular. It's in the plural. You say, why does that matter? Because initially David started the speech to Abner, to one guy. But then he changed to talk about all of them. He says, and, and the NASB gets this plural. He, the NASB says, as the Lord lives, all of you must surely die because you all did not guard your Lord, the Lord's anointed. By accusing Saul's commander and his soldiers with the inability to protect their king, David is giving a great lesson to Saul, who has been putting confidence for his security in his people. We've seen this problem with Saul from the beginning of the book. Saul is a man who is more afraid of what people will say or do to him than what God will say or do to him. And here, David's speech to Abner and his soldiers show that the Lord is able to break through our human security. Confidence in the Lord is put on display here by revealing how fragile human security can be. Friends, I wonder, what are the ways in which your heart seeks to surround yourself with means of human protection? For Saul... It was his spear next to his head, his commander next to him, and 3,000 soldiers all around him. And in this speech, David exposes how Saul's security failed. What are ways you are trying to build security for yourself without putting confidence or apart from putting confidence in the Lord. Saul's expedition against David was definitely an overkill. Are there areas in your life in which you go out of your way to build up that security? Is your mind overthinking about such matters? Uh, this does not mean that as human beings we should be irresponsible about what we do. It simply means that when the Lord wants to make us vulnerable, no human security can stand before the Lord. So David's first speech exposes the fragile nature of Saul's security and trust in men. But then David addresses King Saul. 
in the second speech, when, when Saul hears David's voice, he asks, is this you, my son David? And David says, yes, it's me. And he asks Saul, why are you chasing after me? What evil have I done? David is open to consider that perhaps there's some evil in his own life that he's not aware of, and that the Lord might have stirred up Saul against David. If the Lord has been the one who has stirred up Saul against David, then David wants to make it right with the Lord. He says in verse 19, Now therefore, let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred up, has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. It's as if David says, I want to make it right with the Lord. If I've sinned against you in some way, I want to make it up with the Lord. By the way, this is a great example here in, in a strategy, a biblical strategy to handle conflict. David does not assume that Saul is the only plausible explanation for David's trouble. It's a great example for us when we are dealing with resolving a conflict to start with assuming or asking if perhaps the cause of the conflict is something that we have done. And if so, we must repair it. And we must repair it first and foremost with the Lord. David's second scenario that he makes plausible is to consider if the cause of Saul's hatred against David could be because of the advisors that Saul has around him. The people around him who are feeding Saul with false theories about David's motives. So David says in verse 19, if, if it's men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. We see here a David that expressed his grief at the people who are counseling Saul who would rather see David out of the land. And David's plea before Saul is not merely to let him live, but not to drive him out of the land. Look at verse 20. Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. This is a way of saying, I don't want to die away from Israel. I don't want to die away from the presence of the Lord who is among his people. Now, David is not saying that God's presence is only manifested in Israel. After all, David wrote Psalm 139, in which he knows that there's no place that he can go to from which he can run away from the presence of the Lord. But here, the presence of the Lord is not referring to his omnipresence all over the world. Here, the presence of the Lord is referring to God's presence with his people gathered in worship. If David would be exiled, he would not be able to worship in the place where God gathers with his people. And David does not want to, to die in a place of worship where people worship other gods. David wants to die in the place where God is present in worship. 
with his people. This is a presence that of God that David does not want to leave behind. The presence of God in the sanctuary of God where God meets with his people. David is more concerned here to lose the presence of God or to be far from the presence of God than to actually protect his life. Than to protect his life at any cost. How greatly do we hunger for the presence of God in the gathering of his people? Do not let me die away from the presence of the Lord. As one Bible theologian put it, to be cut off from the ordinance of public worship is David's most severe grief. Would that cause me anguish? David is more concerned that he would not die away from the presence of the Lord. When Saul hears David's words, Saul again acknowledges his sin, repents of it, and invites David to return back to Saul and promises him again no harm. Now, by this time, David realizes that Saul's repentance and promises are probably fickle. So David does not return to Saul, but offers to return his spear instead. David did not need Saul's spear. That's not why David took the spear. And now David gives to Saul his last speech, the third speech in this chapter. David says to Saul a summary of why he acts the way, or the way, why David acted the way he did. David risked his life not to harm Saul. David risked his life to enter Saul's camp, not even to steal Saul's spear, because somehow David wanted to disarm Saul. David did not need another weapon, a better weapon. No, here he's willing to give the weapon back. So why? Is David acting the way he is? Look at the last words that David gives to Saul here. Gives him a conviction. Verse 23, The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. David tells us here the conviction that he has about the Lord. He's a God who rewards his people for how they act. And David tells us what kept him away from revenging against Saul. It was not merely that he did not want to be guilty before the Lord. It's the conviction that the Lord rewards those who act righteously and faithfully. In other words, it's not merely the fear of guilt that motivated David not to act in revenge. It's also the confidence that the Lord does reward those who act righteously. Friends, consider refraining from responding sinfully to others, not only because of the fear of guilt, the guilt that sin incurs upon us, but also because of believing the reward the Lord promises to those who act righteously, rightly, faithfully in difficult situations. 
It's as if David says to King Saul, King Saul, I acted rightly with you today to earn a reward not from you, but from God. That God rewards those who act rightly. The reward David seeks is the protection of his physical life. He seeks that protection, but he seeks it not from Saul, but from the Lord. Look at verse 24. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me from all my tribulation. You would expect David to say, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in your sight. Right? David, uh, Saul, David would say to Saul, Saul, let's exchange these favors, these favors. I acted favorably towards you. You act favorably now back towards me. I spared your life. Would you spare my life? But that is not the bargain. That is not the deal that David wants to strike. The deal that David wants to strike is not with Saul. It's with the Lord. And that makes a big difference. David is saying... As your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. Do you see whose favor David is seeking? It's not the favor of King Saul. It's the favor of the Lord. Now, this is not about earning God's favor for salvation. None of us can earn favor with God to be saved for our eternity. The Bible makes it very clear in Ephesians 2 that we are saved by grace. Salvation is not by our works. We are saved not by what we do, but by the sheer mercy of God to save us against our rebellion against the Lord. Well, friends, if, if you are not aware of and have not experienced God's salvation for our souls, salvation from hell, salvation from eternal damnation that our sins deserve, our salvation from that comes to us only and exclusively by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And if you don't have the experience of that salvation, I want to encourage you to turn to the Lord and recognize that you do not need to do any good deed before the Lord to earn that salvation. This is the great news of the gospel. And if you'd like to know more about that, we would love to talk to you after the service is dismissed. But the favor that David is asking here and seeking from the Lord is not the favor of eternal life. It's the favor of protection for his physical life. David is recognizing that how he reports to the Lord in his horizontal relationships is what matters. David is not trying to earn that favor of horizontal relationships by taking things in his own hand and revenging against the people who really deserve that revenge. 
David says, I will act horizontally in a way that seeks God's favor vertically. That horizontal relationship is in light of what makes me right with God. David says, I am seeking the favor of the Lord, that the Lord would protect me horizontally, not people. Friends, do you act righteously or faithfully towards others simply to get their favor? If you do, if you act righteously and faithfully towards others simply to get their favor, you will be disappointed. You will easily be setting up yourself up for bitterness because when they don't return the favor, you will be utterly disappointed. Or if they don't return the favor the way you expected or when you expected, you will be disappointed. But if you act righteously, horizontally, to seek not the horizontal favor, but to seek the vertical favor, you will be fine. Even when people will not treat you the way you expected. David closes to, chooses to, to close his speech with Saul, telling him that he wants the vertical favor. May the Lord deliver me from all my tribulation. Now, David started his speech exposing Saul's failing human security through Abner and his 3,000 soldiers. Having a bigger army around him was not a sufficient means, sufficient means for Saul to keep him out of danger. In contrast to Saul, David closes his speech by telling us where his confidence is placed for his security, it's the Lord. May the Lord deliver me out of all tribulation. So from these speeches that David gives to Saul, David's confidence in the Lord shows up through his willingness to consider if he's wrong and be willing to make repairs with the Lord if David has been the first one who has wronged. David's confidence in the Lord shows up through his yearning not to be cast away from the presence of the Lord in the worship of his people. And it shows up in his seeking favor and protection, not from people, not even from the people with power, but from the Lord. Friends, do these ways reflect how you place your confidence in the Lord? With David's ways, as we see his speeches, would David's ways be a reflection of your instincts as well? Here is a David who has grown in confidence in the Lord how to deal with tribulation, with difficulties, with difficult people, with revenge. How about you? To all this, Saul responds with a short line. Verse 25. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things, and you will succeed in them. Of all the people whom David would have expected to encourage him and assure him of success, Saul 
is probably the last man David expected to hear such words from. And yet, that's how the chapter ends. That the man who went after David with 3,000 soldiers wanting to kill him with clothes and come to a closure with these words of affirmation and blessing. What a surprising ending. So the chapter ends on the following note from the narrator. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. If we peek ahead at the remaining chapters of this book, we come to realize that Saul and David will never speak to each other again after this chapter. This is their last exchange of words. This is the last time David is facing his persecutor. This is the last time Saul is going to address through words David directly. And how amazing to hear that in this last interaction of words, David's last words to Saul expressed this amazing confidence in God. And how amazing that Saul's last words to David were a blessing and an assurance that David will succeed in all that he does. Friends, God is able to make David's enemies utter a blessing on him. Here we have a rich example of a persecuted king-to-be who has grown to put his confidence in the Lord and has showed it both through his actions and in his speech by telling us what his heart truly yearned for and desired to be free of guilt before God, to have the presence of God in the, present, in the public worship of his people, and to have the favor and protection of God instead of that of men. And the Lord has caused even David's enemy to bless David and acknowledge his future success in what would end up being their last words. Understanding why God's providence hits us hard through trials, we may not understand that. This chapter started with this unexpected, oh, the troubles linger on. Understanding why God would allow this trouble in David's life to linger on while his wilderness journeys and wanderings to continue to go on. Understanding why God's providence hits us hard through trials, that understanding may have to wait for a while. But our confidence in the Lord does not have to wait. You and I may not understand God's providence, 
But that does not mean that we need to wait to put our confidence in the Lord. So let me encourage you today. Don't wait to put your confidence in the Lord until you understand His providence. I pray that we would learn from David to grow in placing our confidence in the Lord even when the trials keep coming. Even when the trials keep lingering on. May we grow in putting our confidence in the Lord who gave us His Son to be a sure and steady anchor for us no matter what the trials or difficulties we face. Christ can be for us a sure and steady anchor even in the fury of the storm, even in the deep battles of temptation, to act selfishly, to advance our own self-centered agendas. May we seek to respond to our trials or temptations, not in the way that Saul did, but the way that David responded with confidence in the Lord. That will affect our actions. It will affect our speech. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.